of us at times have felt, uh, oh, we got to go to church. I, I pray that that's not the case as we grow in our faith and, and, and uh, our understanding of the importance of church. Um, I didn't have a chance to, to say it earlier as uh, many of you came in afterwards, so I saved it. But a happy Mother's Day to those of you whom God has blessed to be, to be mothers. Uh, what a, a privilege it is and what a blessing you are. Um, I also would ask you to uh, have one other prayer this day, not only thankfulness for mothers, but also uh, prayers of strength for those who have wanted to be moms but haven't been able to for various reasons. And this is, a, as I found as a pastor, a very, very challenging day for some as they've uh, wanted to be moms, but God in his wisdom has decided, at least biologically, not to, uh, to have blessed them with that. So keep, keep them in your prayers, too, on this uh, special day. Call your mom if she's alive, not in heaven yet. It's a good, uh, good thing. Question, uh, show of hands. Uh, how many of you carry around a cell phone that has a camera on it? How many of you? Oh, I, I figure you guys are in that gen. Yeah, you obviously do. All right. So the number of hands here is indicative of our culture. Almost everyone now carries around a phone with a, a camera on it. So everyone pretty much has a camera with them all the time. And this can come in handy in certain ways, right? So as an example, you know, at times you just want to take a picture. You're riding in the car while your spouse is driving or your parents are driving and you see a beautiful orange and purple sunset and you, you take a picture because you've got a, a camera with you. This didn't happen 20 years ago that you carried a camera everywhere, right? Or if you're in the, if you're in the airport and you see a celebrity there and you got your camera, you could take a picture. It'd be kind of maybe weird, paparazzi, but you know, you could do it, right? Or, you know, the, the word of the year is, uh, or the year last year and a half is a selfie. You can take a selfie whenever you want at the game or with your friends or, or whatever it might be. But here's what I would say. As much as we use the camera on our phone, it's actually undervalued. So before we get into our message today, I was just going to give you free of charge just some tech help, okay? And this isn't spiritual. Don't write this down. Just, I'm just helping you, and then there's going to be a point afterwards, okay? So, your cell phone camera, some better uses to maximize it. Have you ever been to the grocery store, and you've got your list with you, but you're like, as you look at an ob something at the store, I think I might need that, even though it's not on the list. Before you go to the store, take a picture of the inside of your fridge and the inside of your pantry. <laughs> and that will help you know if you have milk or not, it, or, and how much, because you have that picture. It. Any of you have a trouble finding your car when you've parked somewhere? I know no one will raise their hand on this one. But take a picture of where your car's at, and you won't be wandering like a lost soul when you're looking for it, but you've got it on your cell phone. Um, here's another one, uh, as I'm thinking here. Oh, do you, ever, do you ever lose things? Um, we at our house are notorious for checking out like 30 books at the library for the kids and then not remembering which ones we've checked out and how many, and we lose the receipt. 
take a cell phone picture of the receipt, and then we don't have to spend 15 minutes looking for it because you've got it on your cell phone. Ah, see? Last one. As a, a pastor, and uh, many people ask to borrow books from me, and maybe you have neighbors that ask you to borrow something like a weed eater or, or uh, a fertilizer, whatever, fertilizer spreader, whatever. Um, for me, at least, a lot of times, I don't get the things back, not because people try to steal them, but just because they forget. So now if you want to borrow a book from me, it's okay, but I'm going to have a picture of you with the book, and this will help me remember who borrowed it, and then you can't tell me that you didn't because I have, I have evidence. So here's, so all of that, there's nothing spiritual about that, but it brings us to a point. We carry a phone camera around with us all the time. And I think in some ways we underutilize it, potentially. Some of you have grown up in church all your life. Others of you are maybe looking to see what church is about and what it's like. And I would say that people who have been in it for a long time, church, we underestimate, undervalue, and under-prioritize the blessing that church, that is the gathering of God's people, can be. That's uh, the reason for our series, and that's our first fill-in, that we can, and maybe I should even say we do, <laughs> underestimate the intended, that is by God, the intended impact of the gathering of God's people, the gathering of the church. We can underestimate that. And like I said, that's the reason for this series to grow in what does it mean to be, as the video said, the church. And as you recall, in the last two weeks, on the first week, we um, looked at how Jesus gave the church a purpose go to where? To Jerusalem, that is the city, so like Lakeville, to the state, Judea, that's like Minnesota to the place they didn't want to go, like some, they, he said Samaria, so that's like um, Wisconsin, right? Is that? Okay, all right. And then, and then to the ends of the earth, he said. That's the purpose of the church, to go. Last week, Pastor Leach was with us, and he told and taught us about the special gift that was given to the church on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit. And does anyone recall how many people came to faith in one day? 3,000 people. 3,000 people. God loves megachurches because they're souls. 3,000 people came to faith. In one day, what an awesome start. So you'd think with this sort of boom and start, you'd think things must have been all fun and excitement for the early church. But if you thought that, you would not be right. Right after the church started, and even as it spread, there was one of the, the worst persecutions there has ever, ever been for any ethnic group, or any religion, I would say, probably one of, if not the worst, in those next 250 years of the early church. Now, a lot of it happened because these Christians and the, Jew, the Jews did not like the Christians. And, and, and so here's why. The, the Christians obviously seemed to be and were a lot different. They believed in the Old Testament like the Jews did, but... 
They stopped doing the sacrifices. They worshipped on Sunday instead of Saturday. And the Jews felt threatened, honestly. Their leadership felt threatened by this Christian group, that movement that was growing. And so they persecuted the early church. Now, as I was thinking about persecution this week, I was trying to think, can I relate to the early Christian church? And I asked myself this, this specific question. When in my life have I been persecuted for my faith? As I share with you mine, I, I want you to think about in your life, okay? So here's mine. When I, and there's probably others, but here's the one that came to mind first. When I was uh, in high school, um, I wore a t-shirt that had a Christian theme to it. it. I can still remember. It was Lord's Gym. And then they always have a catchy saying, His pain, your gain. You know, his pain on the cross, your gain, you know, heaven. So, you know. so I wore that and I was, you know, wanted to wear my faith. Well, about mid-morning, some of my friends came and they said, uh, well, basically they kind of poked fun at me for wearing this Christian-themed T-shirt. And I'm embarrassed of what happened next, I, instead of being upset with them, I kind of felt weird and timid the rest of the day, wishing I had brought a different shirt. And as I thought about it, I'm pretty sure that was the last time in high school I ever wore a Christian-themed T-shirt. I think back to that, I think, Ben, you're a wimp. You are. You're a wimp. That some friends would say something and you would never wear a t-shirt like that in high school again. The, the persecution that these Jews, or these Christian Jews, faced were far worse. Uh, you remember a guy named Saul, later he became Paul. He got Christians together and he made fun of their Christian-themed robes. No, he didn't do that. He got Christians together and he put them into prison. A little worse, huh? Ripped them from their families, killed many of them. Paul, Saul, watched this happen. And then things got worse for Christians, this early church. Um, the Roman Empire that ruled the area, they began to have a beef with Christians, not because of religious things, but because Christians, this movement was a threat. A threat to what? A threat at peace. Christians weren't rabble-rousers, but they also weren't just going with status quo. And the thing the Romans wanted the most was peace. And so this is where this 250-year persecution happened before Christianity was legalized in Rome. And, and Christians, like Peter, were crucified, some upside down. They were stoned. Christians were beheaded. Um, the, the Romans would take Christians, throw them into an arena with wild animals, and the Roman aristocrats would watch what would happen next. In 65 AD, this isn't biblical history, this is secular history. Rome, about four-fifths of it burned. Many speculate King Nero, Emperor Nero, set the fire himself for various reasons. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that, however it happened, Nero framed Christians. And so there's this big boom 
on Pentecost. And through the next 250 years, the church grew. But guess what? There was persecution. It was difficult to be a Christian. And I look at those early Christians, and here's my question. If I lived 2,000 years ago, would I have chosen to be a pastor, a Christian leader? I don't know how you would answer that, but honestly, I don't think I probably would have, to be honest with you. How about just being a Christian? Would you have been able to stand strong, even though it might have meant your family be rip, being ripped apart? Would you have stood strong in your faith? Again, I said earlier, at times I can be a wimpy Christian. Follow Jesus when everything's great. But as soon as he starts to infringe on what I want to do, that is God's directive, or as soon as it kind of gets hard to be a Christian at work because you might get looked over for something because you have certain morals that the rest of the business doesn't have, or as soon as God starts to give us his directives for um, his directive for our dating lives or for other parts of our lives, and it's not what we want to do, all of a sudden we aren't willing to bear that cross, but instead we do what the world does or can, or attempted to do that. I think we have to confess today, Lord, I'm a Christian, but at times I'm a wimpy one in my faith life. Now, I'm not going to leave you there, obviously, today. Because I, how did this Christian church survive? You know what the Sunday school answer is to, you know, you just, the stock Sunday school answer to every question, the kids just say, God. Okay? And that can be an answer to that question. How did the church survive? But there's more to it than that. And Luke writes about it. Luke writes and gives us a snapshot at what this early Christian church was like. And as you read that, I want you to ask yourself this question as I read it. What do these words mean for me individually? And what do these words mean for our church? Our second fill-in was this. Christians will face persecution. It's, it's just going to happen. God said it to be so. Acts chapter 2. Listen as we see a snapshot of the early church. They, that is the church, that is Christians, devoted, prioritized, made most important to themselves, they devoted themselves to going to the lake. They devoted themselves to the Viking draft. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the Bible, to regular time in God's word, not just once a week, but often, to fellowship, that is, the joining, the family of believers, to breaking of bread, probably not there referencing communion, but to a special meal that came before communion, and also to prayer. Verse 43, everyone is filled with awe in that church, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the disciples, by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they, the church, met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They got together. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know what they did? They prioritized their church. They prioritized other Christians. Praising God, and they enjoyed the favor of those people. And the Lord 
added. Even in the midst of this persecution, he, the church did not decline. It did not go away. But the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, that is an amazing church, huh? Did they have sin in it? Yes. Was it a perfect church? There's never been one. But it is certainly an amazing snapshot into the early Christian church. You know what church was? It wasn't a building. They had none. Church wasn't just a weekend activity. Church wasn't a second thought or a fifth thought. The gathering of believers wasn't a tenth thought after we get everything else done. Church was central to their lives. Christian believers were central to their faith lives. And make no mistake, this is one of the biggest things that God used to allow the church to grow in spite of the massive persecution that they were facing. The unity and the devotion that they had to God first, but then to each other. In fact, um, have you ever heard of uh, baptismal sponsors? Of course, we all have, right? It did not come from the Bible. I can't quote you a verse on it. You know where it came from? This church, the early church. In the first 200 years, parents knew as Christians that there's a good chance they're not going to live to see their kids into adulthood, not because of health, but most importantly because of persecution. And so they would find a couple other Christians and they would say, hey, if something happens to me, would you raise my children up in the truths of the faith? Because it was hard to be a Christian. But they together bonded together and were the church. They were that community. Now, I'm gonna, I want to ask you a question that I asked in January during our Life Together series. It's the same question. When you look at your life, Outside of the people you live with, who's there to pick you up? Outside of the people that you live with, outside of your family, in your church family, who have you prioritized to let you in, have prioritized to check in on, have prioritized not just with your words, but with your time? And many of you have this, so you could, some of you could tell me who it is. I'm just asking, who is there to pick you up in those times when you feel persecution or when you feel that the, the struggles of life are too hard for you to bear on your own? You know, um, is anyone here over 50? Don't raise your hand. I think we're all like in our 30s, I think, and, and younger, right? So if, if you're 50 years old or older, you've lived through a cultural shift in America. And I'm not saying even that all of it is totally bad, but it's something to be aware of. Here's the cultural shift. That 50 years ago, a person's spiritual life revolved around their church. That's probably still quite similar. Fifty years ago, most people's social life revolved around the church, too. Many of you maybe can think back to your parents, or maybe it's you, that the way they scheduled their month is they got the church calendar from the ushers after the service, and then they put all the other things on the church calendar. Yeah. 
There's potlucks and green jello and potato salad, like every month. Now, let me tell you, I don't like green jello and potato salad. And I especially don't like little pieces of carrot and jello. Like, I, I don't eat that like Lutherans do. Maybe I'm not a Lutheran, I don't know. I know I'm a Christian. But here's my point it's not about the potlucks. It's not about that you've got to write all of your events on the church calendar starting now because Ben said so. It's bigger than that. Where does church come? Where does this family of believers or the family of believers you belong to, where does that come on your priority list? Do you squeeze it in around everything else that you have? Or do you make sure that's down? and balanced. And then the other things, we'll figure it out, but we're going to prioritize this community. We're going to prioritize, not with our words. We all love our church. With our time. With our actions. The people that make up your church. Number three, the, the church is, this is what God wanted, is a community of encouragement and support. 2,000 years ago, they sold all their stuff and they gave it to each other. We don't need to do that. That's not telling us that we have to do that. But you know what we need to do if we haven't done it already? We need to prioritize, and we all can do better, the people that make up your church. Now, this isn't just a snapshot into the early church. This is actually something that Jesus directed, and that brings us back to John chapter 13. I just want to really quickly go through just two, or two verses here. As Jesus is speaking to the disciples on the day or night before he was crucified, he said, a new, and not new like, and they never had heard this before, not a new like, no, this wasn't in the Old Testament, but a new as in a renewed. I'm going to tell you again, a new command I give you, love one another. And again, when I studied the Greek this week, I really, really believe that in this section, Jesus is saying not love one another everywhere. We need to do that too. But in this context, love each other in this room. Love the church. Love your fellow brothers in the faith. Just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. The interesting thing is Jesus never asks of you something that he hasn't first given you. There's lots of people that get married and they promise to love each other, but they've never experienced, because they're not Christian, they've never experienced the love of Jesus' grace. And so how in all the world can they give what they don't understand? Huh? Jesus asks us to give to each other what he has first given us. You can think about those 12 disciples as Jesus says, I've loved you just like that. I, I want you to love one another. You can think Matthew sitting there, the disciple, and he's thinking, all right, so Jesus said, as I've loved you. And, and remember Matthew, he was a tax collector, huh? And the disciples and Jesus came and Jesus said, hey, Matthew, tax collector, leave, leave the booths and come follow me. And the disciples were probably like, really, Jesus? Him? We've talked about this before. And Jesus said, yes. Follow me. You're one of mine. 
And then Nathaniel, maybe he's sitting in the room, and Jesus says, as I've loved you. And Nathaniel's thinking about when he first became a Christian and a disciple as well. And for Nathaniel, Jesus sent Andrew, his brother, to go get him. And Nathaniel's response when Andrew said, come, follow Jesus, was, yes, no, it was, does anything good or can anything good come from Nazareth? So Nathaniel's first words both dis Jesus and his entire family from Nazareth, and yet Jesus has come. Right before this happened, Jesus had just gotten down on his knees and had washed their feet, and Jesus says, see how I've loved you? Now love each other in this room. Love the church. And you and I, we have the benefit of what they hadn't experienced yet, of seeing our Savior Jesus die and rise again, the ultimate picture of love. The Savior who is willing to pick up his cross for people who aren't willing to pick up their crosses. A savior who is willing to be persecuted for people who aren't always handling persecution so well. Jesus says, as I've loved you, now love each other. I'm the reflection. I'm the goal. And then I love this next verse. By this, people are going to know you're my disciples. By what? Um, By the fact that you go to church every week, people are going to know you're Christian. No, that's not what Jesus says. Um, By the fact that you can quote a scripture passage for every and each situation that someone's in. Now, that's a good thing to be able to do. That's not what Jesus says. By the Christian fish symbol on the back of your car, people are going to know that you're my disciple. Maybe. It's not what Jesus says. You know what he says? He says, when people look at the way the church loves each other and prioritizes each other and not only gets encouragement but gives encouragement, the world will know, people will know that you are mine, that you are my disciples. Now, this is something that you need. Some of you have that here at Bethlehem. Some of you have it at other churches. Some of you are looking. I just want to tell you that here at Bethlehem, I have tons of examples uh, of this happening. Um, There's some Facebook groups that I'm not invited to, but that (laughs) come up organically that are totally for praying for each other, for encouraging each other, for supporting each other. This past week, I had a member of Bethlehem come into my office in tears because she spent an entire weekend trying to figure out her tax problem. She couldn't figure it out. I know a tax guy who belongs to our church, called him up, put down what he was doing, talked to her for 45 minutes. She left with a smile on her face. It's awesome. I could have story after story of growth groups and the things happening in there. This is one of the reasons why I'm so excited about a couple of our members really taking it on themselves to plan some all-church events this year, opportunities to come together. The first one, I think, is in uh, June 14th. But you know what? This community thing, here's where we close. It's not really about a program. And it's really not about all church events at its core. And it's really not about growth groups at its core. 
You know how community happens in this church or any church? It's every single person of the church prioritizing the church. It happens individually. It happens with you. We cannot program it. We can have all the cool events we want. But it has to be you. It has to be me as part of the church. Community at church is not a program. It's a priority that we put, not just with our words, but with our calendars, with our time, with our phone calls. This is happening for many. It can happen for more. And guess what will happen as you get connected even more with your church? You're going to be blessed. You're going to be built up. You're going to be encouraged. Now, when we started, you, you thought that the cell phone camera in your pocket is a bigger blessing than you first realized, huh? That's nothing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for my church that I'm a part of, not a pastor, a member of. I thank you for the brothers and sisters here who encourage and build up and pray that happens more and more, that every person of this church prioritizes. And that doesn't mean, Lord, that we need to be at everything, but that we make church a priority in our hearts and with our actions. Lord, as we uh, do your work together and, and reach more and more people, we, we'd ask that you uh, allow us to do that shoulder to shoulder. And, 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 and just like that early church, may the church continue to grow. Lord, we also uh, ask you to continue to pour into the moms here that are with us today. Give them strength for difficult days. Give them the understanding of thankfulness from their kids and from their husbands and grandkids for all that they do. And uh, we, we thank you for Christian moms, dear Lord. Finally, Lord, we thank you for uh, blessing Cal, Sir, Cal Tandeski's surgery this past week. And as he now looks at next steps for continued treatments for his cancer, we'd ask that you guide the doctors and, and ultimately bring him to a full recovery. In Jesus' name we pray and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.